Daniel chapter 6. And I want everybody to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. I'm going to read all of Daniel 6. And I'll be reading in the ESV. If you need a Bible, please raise your hands. Brother Willie has a stack of Bibles just waiting for people. So don't go through the service without a Bible. So join with me as I read Daniel 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then the men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find any connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should enforce an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And they came near and said before the king, Concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he had heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, King, know that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes establishes, can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king stood with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, as your God whom you serve continually, has he been able to deliver you from the lions? 
Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God said his angel, and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad, and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray for my father and mother, our pastor and first lady, Lord, that you would just bless them on this vacation that's well-deserved, Lord. But we pray, Lord, that we would be faithful as we hold this service, Lord, because we want to give honor to this church that my father has started, Lord, but also we want to give honor to you, Lord. We serve you, Lord. Our faith has not come from them, Lord. It comes straight, direct from us to you. And so, Lord, we want this service to be an honor to you and a praise to you. We want the word to go forth strongly, Lord. We want the choir to sing and uplift our hearts. We want people to be in the uh, pews listening and having their hearts touched by the word, Lord. And that's only is possible because your Holy Spirit empowers us to do those things. So we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be with us, Lord, as we do all these things. And in your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's have a choir come forward. And you may be seated. do I feel the Holy Spirit working through me on the bass, but I just feel the Holy Spirit just putting a word once again in my mouth. Not that I didn't, you know, study throughout the week, but it's just something about the Holy Spirit just being with you in that moment to empower you right there. He says, I don't care that you prepared this. I have something. I have something that I prepared for you that's special for these people. Special for this moment. Special for your life. I don't know everything that's going on in your life. And the Holy Spirit can take the word and he can make it relevant to you. Even though the word that we're going to be looking at is over 3,000 years old. But God's word is relevant as, as relevant today as it was the day he wrote it. And when I look at the book of Daniel, I can't do anything but praise God. But you know, where we praise God, the world hates God. There's no book in the Bible other than Isaiah that the world hates more than Daniel. Oh, they hate the book of Daniel. They hate the book of Isaiah. And they hate it because 
in the book of Daniel and Isaiah, they predict real world events that actually happen. And so they'll come and these scholars will come later and they'll say, oh, you know, the book of Daniel had to be written after these events occurred, even though every evidence is that they were written before. Because they just can't admit that God might know what will happen tomorrow. See, it's easy to deny Genesis and Exodus when they predict that the people of Israel will live in the land of Egypt 400 years because it's resolved in that same book. You know what I'm saying? So the books were written after the event, so it's easy to predict. So they say, ah, they just said that afterwards, and you could just make God predict anything if you knew what happened afterwards, right? But it's hard to deny when God wrote about Alexander the Great before the Greeks were even dominant. It's hard to deny when God brings up the Romans when the Romans didn't exist. It's hard to deny the book of Daniel is prophetic because it speaks to things that he could not have known. And so they say it had to be edited after these events occurred. It had to be something. Isaiah, it can't be true. It couldn't have predicted these things about Christ. It must have been two or three authors. It had to be two or three authors of Isaiah. And even with their rationalizations and excuse makings, even if it was two or three authors of Isaiah, at the end of the day, they can't answer why Isaiah predicted everything about the Lord Jesus Christ so perfectly. They can't do it. No amount of excuse-making makes the facts go away that God's word is real. And, you know, it's a lot of Christians today that don't want to hear from Daniel. Well, I know they don't want to hear from Daniel because their churches are still closed. They don't want to hear from Daniel because they want to believe in social distancing rather than the closeness that the Holy Spirit brings between believers. They want to fight viruses instead of fighting the spirit that reigns over this world. And so they don't want to hear from Daniel. So Daniel is controversial today. It's going to be controversial after I preach it because you know what? The truth is what it is. You're either going to like it or you're going to hate it. It's still going to be stepping where it's stepping. If your toes is in the way, they get smashed, and that's okay because that's the word of God. And so we got to get used to this. I talked about this in Sunday school. Many times I teach and preach on things that I don't agree with because it's not about me. It's about the word of God. It's not about whether this is my ideology or these are my thoughts. It's about what did God say? Because if I said it, it will only go to the extent that my voice will reach, which is the ceiling of the wall. But when God says it, it echoes throughout creation. God's word has the ability to create reality. God's word is the power by which he created this world. And so when we preach God's word, we might not agree with it, but it's infinitely more powerful than my word. And it's infinitely more relevant than my word. And it's infinitely more convicting than my word even if I was to try to preach against you today, there would be no conviction compared to the conviction the Holy Spirit can bring with me knowing nothing about what's going on in your life. So let's get into it. Daniel was written so that the discouraged people of God would learn that God had not abandoned them, that they still had prophets, 
men who God had called, and special men, because Daniel was a special man. The prophets referred to Daniel. They said if there was only a holy man like Noah, Job, and Daniel, right? The prophet referred to Daniel, and he's an example of one of the three most holy men in all the scripture. Another prophet said, oh, you think you're as wise as Daniel. So Daniel was known as one of the wisest men in all of Scripture. And for the Jew who was in exile in that time of day, he would say to himself, man, God has abandoned us. Where is this holy temple? Where can we pray? But then they look and they see God still speaking to Daniel. God still speaking to Ezekiel. These men who are in exile, God has not left us. We have left him. And Daniel, through his prophetic gift, he can speak to events that have still not yet occurred. There is no better source other than the book of Revelations for what goes on in the tribulation than the book of Daniel. And I believe there is no better source for what we're going through as a church today than Daniel 6. In Daniel 6, It comes after, in Daniel 5, the handwriting on the wall. And what the handwriting on the wall was where the king was sitting there getting drunk and partying with the utensils that were used in the temple of God, and all of a sudden a hand just appeared out of nowhere and started writing. And nobody could interpret that writing. And the thing that's miraculous about it is people would think, well, you know, that's because it was written in Hebrew and nobody knew Hebrew, but that can't be the case. Because if you know anything about these ancient kingdoms, they knew lots of languages. It wasn't that they didn't know what was written. It was that it was hidden from them, like most of the word of God is hidden from all of the world. And so they called a prophet. After they tried everybody else, they tried the prophet. They said, "Uh, prophet, uh, what what do you think this means? I'll reward you, and I'll make you the third most powerful man in the kingdom. He said, leave your rewards to yourself. This is what the word of God says. Your kingdom is counted and lacking. You've been put on a balance and weighed, and you've been found that you don't amount to much at all. And tonight you will die, and your kingdom will be given to another. Now, the fact that they tried everybody else and not the prophet is an example, and it shows us that Daniel was not favored in the kingdom. Because if he was favored, they should have went to him first. You would think, right? But they went to him last, as if anybody but this Jew. And so finally, when they heard the word, they knew it was true, but it was too late for them to repent. The judgment came that night. They got shot down, and guess what? Everybody looking like, well, you know, the kingdom got torn down, so I guess Daniel going to be torn down too. But that wasn't the case. God protected his prophet. So when Darius took over the kingdom of Babylon, he wasn't a Babylonian. When you think about the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans are people of Babylon. And Darius was a Persian or a Mede. And so Darius has taken over this new kingdom. And you would think that if you take over a new kingdom, you're not going to use the people that you just took over. But who did he set up high? He set up Daniel. Why did he set up Daniel? Well, I think he heard a little bit about the prophecy that Daniel did. That helped. But above all, it says this Daniel was faithful. 
this Daniel was faithful. Now, if you look at Daniel's life, he's an example to us because he was faithful because God was faithful. And he was faithful to God. And when you are faithful to God, you can't help but be faithful at work and at home. I'll say it in another way. You cannot be faithful to God and disloyal or useless to your friends and family. And so God blessed a man who was faithful just like this. If I'm faithful to God, I'm going to be faithful to my wife. If you're faithful to God, you should be faithful to your boss. And it doesn't matter whether you have a good boss or a bad boss because Daniel had many bad bosses. He served bad kings, but he was still faithful because God was faithful. And so he couldn't help but be faithful. We should be faithful. And so this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. What kind of spirit was this? Well, we could say that it was Daniel's character, and Daniel did have a good character. But there was something that was special about Daniel that we also have that special. He had an excellent spirit in him. He had the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a lot of people out there with spirits. And spirits allow you to do special things. In Paul's day, there was a girl who would yell out and say, this is the prophet of the Most High God, and she knew stuff. And we see other people who can do fortune telling and different things like that. They have spirits. But there is no spirit like the excellent spirit. Because those spirits cost you. At the end of the day, you sit there and you play with that Ouija board. At the end of the day, you sit there and you go to that fortune teller. At the end of the day, that spirit is leading you to the lake of fire. But the excellent spirit, he empowers us with no cost. Oh, he refreshes us. It says we mount up like the wings of an eagle. Think about a bird flying free. But think about the, the chains that Satan puts on those who he indwells. Think about all the movies we've seen of people that's possessed. And you might think, oh, that's just a movie, but it's actually some truth to that. These people want to be free, but they just can't be free because the devil does not let people go. Jesus said you can't release something that the strong man has unless a stronger man than him releases him. Satan does not let people go. That's why people fall into addictions and they die in those addictions. But Daniel had an excellent spirit. And so we see that Daniel was looked at by Darius as somebody that he could trust. So Darius is saying, well, you know what? I'm going to set you over the whole kingdom because everything that you do is blessed. But then... We got the next part of the story, a short-sighted plot. The plan is to use Daniel's faithfulness against him. And these people are clever, right? Think about it. They said, we should not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They're right. They're not stupid. These are not stupid people. These are studied people. And when we face our enemy out there in the world, Satan is not stupid. I know people like to say, oh, like, oh Satan is stupid. He do this. No, Satan is not stupid. Satan is smarter than me and you. He has studied human nature far longer than we will ever live. 
He studied it from the beginning. He is a roaring lion. He's described as a dragon. You can't fight no dragon. You might think that you can go out there with your little gun and fight your dragon, but a dragon has inches deep of scales. He don't care about no bullet. He shake off bullets. The dragon described in the book of Job could breathe fire. It said you could throw spears at him and he would just shrug them off. What you going to do against a dragon? What you going to do against a lion if he finds you in the streets? Seeking whom he may devour. You can even have a gun, but you will be so panicked you won't be able to shoot him. He's so fast. He's so sudden. He's so clever. He's hiding. You can't find him. He's throwing darts, it says, Satan's fiery darts. And from that, you get the the idea that he's shooting from angles that you can't hit him back. That's the way of Satan. He's clever. And so the enemies of Daniel are clever, but they're short-sighted. Because I always ask this question, what are you going to gain by what you're going to do? Or in this context, I would say this, if the king liked Daniel and you killed Daniel, what makes you think the king is going to be happy with you? But that's what short-sighted, see, see the world is very clever, but it's short-sighted, right? They think to tomorrow, but they don't think to the next day. Oh, yeah, I'm going to get this girl. Well, what are you going to do with her after the third day? It kind of reminds me of this story in the book, 2 Samuel, where the man loved his sister. Oh, he loved his sister. He, and he raped his sister. But the moment after he raped her, he, discussed, he was disgusted with her, and he couldn't live with her. And all thought, it kind of reminded me of that song, Now That We Found Love, What Are We Going to Do With It? Now that you got what you wanted, what you going to do with it? The world never thinks past that point. Because what you want will not satisfy you. But, Back to the story, they don't care about that. They just want to get Daniel out of there. And so they go up to the king and say, oh, Darius, live forever. And he's feeling good, you know. And they say, hey, you know, we got this rule. Everybody should worship you. And you know, that appeals to the king for two reasons. And it, one reason is it's just natural human nature. Who doesn't want to be worshipped? And the other one is political in that he was taking over a kingdom of people that they had been fighting for years. So who wouldn't want to rub their face into the ground a little bit, right? So he's saying all these Chaldeans, oh, they can't do nothing but worship me, the man who took over them. Yeah, 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 worship me. What you think about that, boys? That's what Darius is thinking. And so that's why he signed it, because he felt some type of way about himself, and he felt some type of way about the situation, right? So he's going to sign it. But you'll notice that when all these people came by agreement, who wasn't there? Daniel wasn't there. These people come in, and they're clever. They come around when Daniel's not there. And they come around, and they make us think to ourselves, man, if we can go back in time and be Daniel, we'd be there in that meeting shouting them down. I'm telling you, you can't out-scheme the schemer. You can't out-plot the plotter. You can't out-lie the liar. There are things that Satan is doing and willing to do that you will not be willing to do to fight him back if you have any kind of character or morality.
And it's oftentimes we feel like we are put in an unfair fight because it's like we're boxing. And so we got to fight above the belt. And the person we're fighting is doing mixed martial arts. And they tackling and doing all kind of stuff and kicking us in the legs. And, and that's how it feels sometimes to be a Christian, doesn't it? And that's just simply the way it is. Well, the thing about it is God is telling us, even despite the fact that the rules are unfair, trust me. Trust me. Now we see the conflict that happens. And I know we've already read this passage, so I'm not going to read it all, but I've got to ask some questions about Daniel. Because Daniel knew what the law was. And Daniel knew that he could just wait 30 days. And Daniel knew all these things. And I got to ask myself, Daniel, man, what law forced you to pray? Is there something hidden in the law of Moses that I didn't see that forced you to pray three times a day? And so the first question I asked Daniel is, what law forced you to pray? And he would say, none. He was bound only by the law of thankfulness. He saw God as all-sustaining and his only provider. So he prayed to him. Then I would ask Daniel, because, you know, you try to be clever. How come you couldn't just wait 30 days? It's not like the king said you could never worship. Just say 30 days. And Daniel would say, I couldn't go one day because I live to worship. You see, righteousness is commanded, but it's the thankful heart that drives obedience. I could sit here and say, thou shalt not steal. And that's true. But it is not until you say, thank God for what he has given me, that you start to understand the value of property. Thank God that he has allowed me to work. Thank God that he has given me this. Thank God that he saved me. Thank God that he has called me out out of everybody. He didn't have to do that. Thank God that I'm allowed to pray. Every, you could call the president and you're not going to get through. You can call your senator and you get sent the voicemail. But you can call the God in the middle of the night and there he is. Thank God. You see, thankfulness is the heart of worship. People all want to get themselves all psyched up and everything, and they, ooh, yeah, I'm getting the spirit, and they hype themselves up. It kind of reminds me of when I used to wrestle, we do jumping jacks, and then we do, we do, um, we, we do rope, and we get ourselves all hyped. You're going to do it, yeah, we're going to do it, yeah, you're going to do it, yeah. And that's how some people do worship sometimes, don't they? Praise Jesus, yeah, praise Jesus, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you get all hyped up, yeah, you know. But it's like, bro, hype yourself up with some thankfulness. What did God do for you? Sometimes you could be thankful, and if you sit there and you have a thankfulness session, you'll be brought to tears because you realize what God has done for you. And if you get there after being thankful, you don't need nobody to hype you up. If you need to be hyped up, you're not being thankful because you're not remembering all the things that God done done for you because we could be in hell, and we would deserve to be there. We all deserve to be there. And God saved us. He gave us his word. What can we say? It's a thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So then I got to ask Daniel, man, how come you didn't hide? You ain't had to open your windows, dog. 
All you had to do was pray in your basement. I know you're wealthy. You got a basement. Just pray in your basement. And Daniel is saying, I see no reason to change worship because I don't see no difference in my God. And I know you can't help but see the parallels for what we're doing today. I know you can't help but see it because you'd have to be blind not to see it. And a lot of the people, and even our churches that we fellowship with, they want to skip over Daniel 6. Oh, they don't like that. Because there's a lot of parallels with the government telling us that church should be closed. And Daniel being told he can't pray for 30 days. Oh, it's uncomfortable. I bet if I was preaching in those churches right now, they'd be squirming in their seats, boy. I said, man, is it a bug in your pants? No, it's just the word of God makes us uncomfortable when we make decisions that don't match up with what his word prescribes. Don't be mad at me. Be mad at his word. And you might say, well, I can't be mad at his word. Then stop being mad and obey. Obey his word. So Daniel does his thing, and, and the people come, and they do this, play this game. Oh, king, didn't you sign this law? And he's like, yeah, I signed the law. Well, there's Daniel. And the king is like, oh, no, not Daniel. Now I see why they was doing all this stuff. They were just trying to get Daniel all alone. And so the king is stressed. But the strength, king's stress does not save Daniel. And really, that's the whole point of this chapter. The king, with all his power, cannot save Daniel. And it kind of reminds us of John the Baptist and, the, and Herod, right? John the Baptist, Herod loved, he, I mean, he, he was mad at John because he told him not to marry his sister. But he, he, he had an affinity with John. He's like, man, this guy's preaching the truth. And then the woman he was messing with came out and said, I want you to kill this guy. He, he couldn't tell her no. And that was it. Because the king's stress does not save us. Pilate, his wife wrote and said, I have many dreams about this man. And Pilate sought to free Jesus many different ways. But at the end of the day, the king's power is limited. We all want to be king. But kings have limits. And kings can't save. So the king, he stays up all night. Doesn't do no good. He prays and fasts. That didn't do no good. And so he finally comes to the end of the line and he says, Daniel! Serving the living God has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions. And that's what his hope is. But I want you to understand this, that the king's hope is different than the hope that the Bible talks about. The king's hope is like when you buy a lottery ticket and you hope you win. The king's hope is like when you roll the dice and you hope it's sixes. The king's hope is when you draw a card and you hope you get an ace. At the end of the day, he's trusting on luck. He's just hoping and wishing. But when we hope, as Christians, we're hoping in the promises that God has made already. 
And so we stand on the word of God as it is written, and we say, God, what you said you will do, you will do. Now, I want to caution you because there's a lot of people out here who are saying they're standing on faith on stuff that God did not promise them. They say God promised them a husband. I don't see that in God's word. You got to be faithful whether God give you a husband or not. Because God did not promise you that. God did not promise you a child. You might say, I want a child. And I, hey, I'm with you. Praise God if you want a child. But at the end of the day, if God didn't promise you that, you still got to serve him whether he give you that or not. Many people in here who got unsaved family members. Who got an unsaved family member? But no that God didn't promise you that he would save that family member. You still have to serve God even if you see that other person going to hell. Because even if God doesn't save that person, he's still faithful to you. We're not talking about that, you know, fake Christianity where you think if you believe hard enough and you sit there and you put veins in your forehead when you pray, like, that the prayer going to be answered. Because it's not the amount of force that you put into that prayer. It's a God who says yes or no. And you have to allow the fact that God's will might be different than your will. You have to. Because if you don't, he's not God. You've got to allow the fact that you might pray for something that is perfectly good. And we would love to see it answered. But at the end of the day, God might say no. We've got to be okay with that. And if we're not okay with that, we're not submitting to God. We have to submit to a God who says no, or we are not submitting at all. We talked about this in Sunday school. What's the point of obedience if we don't obey when we don't want to? That's what obedience means. Obedience means my will submitting to somebody else's will. That's why people don't like obedience. That's why when you preach about wives submit to their husband, they don't like that because they know that that means that the husband could think something different than them and they have to go along with that. And they don't like to hear that. And who does? I don't like submitting to God. You don't like submitting to your husband. We don't like submitting to the law. We want to go 80 and the, the speed limit say 55. And we get pulled over and we mad at the guy for pulling us over. But at the end of the day, you got to submit. Or you're just going to be mad. But submission and obedience don't mean anything if we don't understand that we have to submit or obey when we don't want to. That's the point, right? That's the whole point. And half of the Christian battle is saying to the Lord, God, I disagree with you, but I'm wrong. God, I want this so bad, but you said no. I shouldn't have wanted it. Whoa! That's when you got explosive faith, explosive growth, when you submit to God's will and stop insisting on your will. Oh, it's hard. You could cry sometimes, not understanding what God's will is. And that's okay. That battle between our will and God's will is something that we see throughout the scriptures. We talked about that in Sunday school. Abraham battling God over destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm sure Noah didn't want the world to be flooded. Moses arguing with God whether he should destroy the people or not. 
You can go throughout every prophet, and you're going to see this battle between their will and God's will, and this conversation that's going on, and God still loves us. But sometimes he's got to say no. And that's okay. Oh, it's so hard. Let me tell you, it's so hard. Sometimes we squirm under the will of God. Sometimes as a boy, I would go back and I would look at these movies about black people being slaves, and I would say, I would go back in time and destroy all these people. But at the end of the day, we may not like it, but that was God's will. And that is hard to accept. We may not like it, but it was God's will that Jesus had to die and be beaten and be spit upon. And when I watch things that display those things, I can't even watch them because I get so mad. But that was God's will. And God's will is not always pleasant. This is not a name it and claim it religion. It's a prayer and submission religion. It's not for the children. It's for mature adults who sometimes have to struggle with God's will like chewing on a piece of meat that you just can't get down and you just have to keep struggling and keep struggling and keep struggling. And finally, you just have to accept it for what it is. And that's okay. So the king asks, Daniel, you still there? And the king, Daniel says, respectfully to the king. He's respectful. And the thing is, Daniel different than me, because I would have got out that lion's den. I'm like, listen, dude, you threw me down this lion's den. You know I ain't do no wrong to you, boy. I've been serving you faithfully all this time. You were just about to promote me. Now you got me down here with these lions. You know I'm allergic to cats. And I would have been talking all kind of crazy, but Daniel didn't do that. Daniel said, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. Now, people read that, and I, I, see, I wake up early enough. I have to work at 4 in the morning. And when I go to work, I always turn on the radio station. There's people always talking all kind of crazy at that time of the day, talking about angels and different things like that. <laughs> and I just want to shut people down when I hear this stuff, because I want to tell them, don't focus on who God sends. Focus on who sent it's not the angel that we should be looking at. Oh, the mighty angel. I wonder how he shut the mouth. No, listen. It's God who delivered his prophet. And the angel is just a tool. Nowhere else in life do we worship the tool, except when it comes to God. You don't never go to the mechanic and say, Ooh, look at that thing that the wrench has done. But when God does something, we see people get all kind of distracted about the, the messenger or the pastor or the angel. It's God who did it. The other people are just tools that he used. And thank God for faithful tools. But it is the person who does the work that should be praised. And so God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. Ooh, that's a prescription for life, isn't it? Be blameless before God and harmless towards men. And if we do that, you can't help but live a good life. I'm not saying you're going to be rich, because we always already talked, this is not a name it or claim it sermon. 
But when you serve God like that, you're going to be a good person. He said, I didn't do you no harm. And when you look at it, when you look at his sentence, doesn't he put God first and man second? He said, I was blameless towards God. And I, wouldn't, I didn't hurt you either, King. But I was faithful to God. And that caused me to do no harm towards men. So I should have never been punished, King. And the king was exceedingly glad. And no harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. It is not Daniel's righteousness that delivered him. It was his faith that delivered him. His faith. But also, let's put it this way, it was God's plan that delivered Daniel. Because there's many prophets who were not delivered. Isaiah was not delivered. Jesus was not delivered. John the Baptist was not delivered. Many people go, James the Apostle was not delivered. Peter was. But at the end of his life, he was not delivered. All the apostles, except for the Apostle John, were not delivered. But they were still faithful to the death. And that's the kind of faithful that we want to be. We want to be faithful to the death. Let God say no, even in the final breath, and I still believe in him. So that when I get to heaven, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were faithful to me even when you didn't agree with my plans. Because guess what? I'm smarter than you. I make the plans. And you do the plans. And that's how it should work. Even the king had to praise the Lord. And when you look at what happened in that these schemers had thought that it was going to destroy Daniel by the lion's den, you'll see a common thread throughout Scripture that people suffer by the means that they try to destroy the godly with. They thought that it was going to destroy Daniel with the lion's den. Guess where they ended up getting destroyed? The lion's den. Haman made gallows that was so high you could see who was hanging from there from the whole city. Who suffered on the ends of those gallows? Haman did. Saul thought that Dan, David would be destroyed at the hand of the Philistines. Who did Saul get destroyed at the hands of? The Philistines. Be careful what means you try to use against the people of God because they will turn around and bite you. Now, I want to end the passage with this. We have an excellent spirit in us just like Daniel had an excellent spirit in him, the Holy Spirit. If you accept that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again on the third day, God will put a new spirit in you. And this spirit should empower you to work and be faithful. This spirit should empower you to work unto the Lord and not unto yourself. This spirit should empower you to be faithful to others in your life just as you are faithful to God. The Spirit helps us in regeneration, in conviction, understanding our purpose, getting spiritual gifts, praying, and empowering us to do all the things that he wants us to do. The second thing I want to point out is that we are driven by faith, not by laws. There was no law that made Daniel say he had to pray three times a day. 
And many people have come to me and said, well, you know, the church should close, and, and this is in the past. Church will close, and, it's, and I would say, the, the word of God says, don't forsake the coming together of, our, of yourselves. And so we kept doing what we was going to do, because at the end of the day, the way that we praise and worship was the same, because God is the same. You might say, well, there's no law that means we got to meet like this. We could do it online. Well, that's true. But since God didn't change, the way we're going to worship him is not going to change. Nothing should change established worship except for God's will. And so when we think about churches that are struggling to return, and I've talked to lots of pastors who are discouraged, and lots of church people who are discouraged, I can't help but think, that if they would have stayed open like we would have stayed open, they would have grown as we have grown through this. You know that before this, we had a hard time meeting our bills and all of a sudden we hitting our monthly goals? You think that's by accident? All we can do is thank the Lord, but the Lord rewards the faithful. And it's not like we made some complicated decisions. We just started, stayed in church like we were supposed to. And so I encourage you, does God's requirements change just because there is a pandemic? Even if all of us get the virus, we only going to die. I know that sounds a funny way to say it, but I want to be really blunt with you. If all that's going to happen is we're going to die, that shouldn't stop us. You understand that? As Christians, we are to be faithful to the death. If all that's going to happen is me by me obeying God, I'm going to die, that shouldn't be that big of an issue. The other thing I notice is the simplicity and the necessity of organized worship. Keep on meeting. Keep on, this, what we're doing right now, God is blessing. Did you know that Jesus said wherever two or three are gathered together, he is in the midst? Now, he didn't mean that two or three people bumped into each other at the mall, and all of a sudden he's there buying purses with you. What he meant was, is that when we decide to meet together in his name, he's there, praising with us. The other thing I'll notice is that when you look at Daniel 6, don't you see that the enemies are always identified by their scheming? Look at verse 6. And these high officials and satraps came by agreement. Verse 11. These men came by agreement. Verse 15. Then these men came by agreement. They always agreeing, right? They always agreeing to do evil, but no amount of unity against God is going to stop what God is going to do. But then look at Daniel. He's always identified by his faithfulness. Look at verse 4. These, they sought to find a complaint against Daniel, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. Verse 11, they found Daniel making petition and plea before his God because he was faithful. Verse 16, the king said, oh, Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Said the same thing in the next verse in verse 20. Oh, Daniel, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you? And in verse 22, the king was exceedingly glad, 
And he, Daniel had no harm was found on him because he trusted in his God, because he was faithful. Daniel is known by his faithfulness. The enemies are known by their scheming. We don't have to out-scheme the schemers. We simply got to be faithful. And in many ways, Daniel is like Jesus. He's an example of righteousness and blamelessness, and he gets set up by his enemies even though he did no sin. But unlike Daniel, Jesus died. Unlike Daniel, Jesus went into the plot willingly. Unlike Daniel, Jesus didn't suffer for himself. He suffered for us so that we might have eternal life. And when you look through this whole passage and you look what Jesus was doing in this passage, what he's saying to us is this. It's my will that you face adversity. But it is also my will that by facing adversity, you believe in me. And thus, you get the victory. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truths. We thank you for bringing us through a story, Lord, that is just so simple. We think about how, we think, Lord, about how we take this story and we teach it to our children because it's so simple. But at the same time, it's useful to us no matter how old we get because it's in your word. So I pray, Lord, that you would save us, Lord. Help us to understand more and more your truths. In your name we pray. Amen.